0: As if the McCrispie couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Spot. Kick away. High enough, up. Long it It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Burke. Good gosh darn This is the Heel Tough Blog. Guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys as always. Today it is time to look back at Carolina's final game of the 2022 season a loss last night in the Holiday Bowl to the Oregon Ducks at the last second. It was a hard fought game, but Carolina ultimately comes up short. It's pretty much been the name of the game really outside of the ACC championship game for Carolina down the stretch of the season. So we're going to break that down in depth for you. We'll, of course, talk a little bit about the direction of the program and everything like that uh, throughout. It's just going to come up with all of the discussions about whether or not this is a year that we we still deem successful There'll be a whole bunch of that conversation coming up here uh over this uh next uh little bit as, as we try to walk you through what exactly happened last night and uh ho- hopefully we can we can give you uh some answers but buddy uh as I welcome in Josh Marlowe here for uh the final time breaking down a game this season. <sighs> I think, I mean, I know you said it. You were were very happy with the effort level from the guys last night. Clearly a team that did come in shorthanded to this bowl game, but so did Oregon. I think Carolina put up more of a fight than we thought that they were going to, but in the end, Oregon made the plays when they needed to. Late Carolina's defense collapsed collapsed and, and, and really the team as a whole collapsed. Um and, and I think that is an extension of a bigger problem ultimately with this team. But uh I, I think you you are in the same camp as I am when you say that it's it's really the result that's more frustrating than the uh the effort level.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, that was I mean, I went into the game, didn't expect Carolina to win. Um, I, I was I was hoping more for them to just be competitive. And that's what they were last night. They competed. They played as hard as they maybe have in a game all season long. I, I can't question the effort that I saw on the field last night. I I I just I get mad at the result and I get upset or not even mad. Just um, not even really disappointed, just more upset. Because, you know, like a, a win would have got you 10 wins and stuff like that, but it wouldn't have erased the, the way we felt the last month or so of the season. And that's why I went into to this game saying, you got to find answers to questions going into next season. And I think in a lot of different ways, I think Carolina did that on offense. They found some guys that they can count on once again next year on offense uh, as they try to replace Josh Downs as he's leaving for the NFL. And then defensively, I think the thing that I liked the most was that, you know, this defense got started all getting gashed, and then they made some adjustments and some guys made some plays, and that was something we didn't really see a whole lot the second half of the season. It was just basically this defense bending and not breaking. Well, you know, yesterday you can make the argument that for the most part, Carolina's defense was the reason why they were winning the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Carolina's offense couldn't put the game away. But then on the flip side, when your defense had to make just one play to win the ball game, they weren't capable of doing just that. And so I think last night was just a reflection of what this season was, which was an incomplete season by an incomplete team. Mac Brown said all year long we play quarters. We play halves. We don't play 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest thing I tried to stress, even when this team was winning. Was that this isn't a formula for success that is, or for sustained success. And that's what happened as Carolina became the first team ever to win nine games
0: in a season and have a four game losing streak. Yep. First team ever to fit to start a season nine and one and finish it nine and five. So it's just, it's, it's so, it's so frustrating. Um, and I mean, last night, I, I think this is the thing. I, I like the effort level. My thing is is that the game was there for the taking. If you were going to lose this game, you should have you were better off just getting blown the hell out. Like I could I could have dealt with that better than the way that you lost last night, because once again, you looked apart. This was in my estimation, and I, I don't know how you feel. This was the best game that this team had played since the game against Wake Forest in Winston Salem. I, I I don't I don't think there are any questions about that. I think this was very clearly the best performance that they had, really on both sides of the football. I know they played well for the majority of the game against Georgia Tech, but keep in mind that this was an offense for Oregon that came in averaging 507 yards of total offense. You know, on the season and up until that, those final two drives where Carolina allowed 119 yards on 12 plays. Carolina did a really good job. had limited them to just 295 yards in three and a half quarters. Mm-hmm. So, I think you know there were some some things to build on, no doubt about it. And we'll talk about some of the positives. But I think when you go back and look. At this game, the one moment that you can point to as the turning point in this football game was really the defensive pass interference penalty on Legend Cavasso's. Not saying that he was the reason why it was the turning point. He, you know, didn't get his head around pass interference, whatever. I mean, it, 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 It wasn't a great play because if he turns his head, he can make a play on the football potentially. But at the same time, he prevented a big catch down the field. So it's it's not the worst penalty that you could possibly take. It was a legitimate penalty. I know people were not happy with some of the calls that were made on Carolina that weren't made in the other direction. But that moment, after that, everything seemed to shift. As I mentioned, after that penalty... Carolina allowed 119 yards on 12 plays, including 97 yards through the air to a quarterback that before that and Bo Nix had just 108 yards on the night and an offense that had just 60 yards of total offense in the second half of the game to that point. So Carolina had done everything that they needed to do, but what you saw was this defense get back to the problems that they've had all season long with shaking plays off. Whenever a mistake is made, and it started early in the year, you go back to that game against App State, remember the late hit call on Cameron Kelly that was questionable, that completely turned that game, led to that, remember that was early in the fourth quarter, and what What proceeded to happen after that, Carolina gave up 40 points in a quarter. This was very reminiscent of that and multiple other moments this year where when something goes wrong, even the smallest thing, for this Carolina defense, there is immediate panic that sets in. Everything seems to snowball, and to me, that goes into the culture and and just the mentality that this team has around it right now, and and, and I think the coaching is where it, where you have to point the finger. Yeah, because they're not being coached to be mentally
1: tough. These are kids that. Um Mac Brown coddles that's his that's his coaching philosophy since he came out of retirement. He came out of retirement, came out of television. he's a softer coach. This isn't the same guy that kicked and screamed and yelled at his times at, at Texas, even though when he was doing that he was going ten and one, eleven and one virtually every year for about a decade and once he lost that edge. He was mediocre at Texas, and mediocre at Texas gets you fired. He's been very mediocre here at Carolina. There's a lot of empty, em- empty calories with his thirty and twenty-one record, but it's the, it's it's the biggest reason why they haven't really accomplished anything since he came back. Um, and and that's that's got to change. You you you've got to be able to be a coach that you can still be a player's coach and be tough on your kids. And he's got to find that way to to find that balance to where he coaches these kids hard, and but still loves them, supports them, and is there for them. Um, it, it's a, it's a difficult balance in in the modern world with the way that these kids are are brought up and the way that you know the you know that's that's Mick Cronin, the UCLA basketball coach, went on a rain a few weeks ago and basically said, "No matter what happens, I'm the problem because that's what they'll be told at home." Same thing happens in football. Where these, and the, the type of players that Carolina's recruiting, these high profile kids, they got people in their corner that are never going to tell them that they're the problem. It's the coach's problem. And Matt Brown's got to find a way to get through to his guys. You've got to be mentally tough and you've got to be able to respond when adversity happens because that's sports. So much of what happens in, in, in sports is responding positive in a way when something bad happens. The teams that do that the best, those are the teams that generally win games. Those are teams mm-hmm. that compete for championships. When when this team has something bad happens, they crumble like the Berlin Wall. And that's a culture that that's a culture issue that existed before
0: he got here and is and it is it, it has existed since he got back here. Well, I'm going to be honest, it it was it that was it was never this bad with with Larry Fedora not on the defensive side of the football. They were just there were times that the defense was just flat out bad, but what you what I saw from this team multiple times this year is that the minute that anything went wrong, another great example, go back to that Notre Dame game. Carolina goes 3 holds them to a 3 and out to begin the game. They get them in a third and long. Notre Dame converts a first down. Carolina found and had absolutely no answers for Notre Dame the rest of the way in that game. It is immediately when one thing doesn't go the way that it was planned, it all falls apart. And I just, I, I just don't understand how Mac Brown does not see that. How he doesn't think that there need to be moves made to try to at least change something in that building on the defensive side of the football. And, I, I mean, I, I think, again, last night that that showed it. Uh, it, was, it was a step in the right direction overall defensively. I think it's something that if you're Gene Chizik you can build on, you would hope that he will want to use more man coverage moving forward because I thought – They went to a more man-heavy scheme last night. I thought it worked a lot better. I think it also kind of tells you where things are at in that defensive backroom when it seems like he trusts a group of younger guys that hadn't really played as much uh, this season as maybe we we even thought they would, Um, more than uh, uh, the guys that were out there prior to that that were three- and four-year veterans. But I, I think from... From, you know, especially the standpoint of the guys up front and just the overall position, the, the, the group of position coaches that are on the field coaching these guys, you just, you honestly have to wonder how there are not moves being made because of the mindset that this team seems to have on that side of the football. And I think, again, late in the game, you still saw the overall deficiencies that this team has, not just in terms of the culture, but in terms of the actual guys that are on the field. They couldn't get pressure at all in the face of Bo Nix the entire night. Their secondary held up for three and a half quarters, but late in the game, when they needed you to actually step up and try to get some pressure on Bo Nix to make a stop, you weren't able to do it. And on the back end, you saw a group that struggled to get their head around (laughs) and look for the football. That's, again, something that is technique more than anything, and it was ultimately the demise of this Toriel football team on Wednesday.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like, the thing about it that got, you know, should have been the most frustrating was you had a broadcasting crew that maybe spent the last week or so getting prepared for this game Carolina doesn't play on Fox, like because of the, the TV networks and stuff. You don't get Joel Clatt and Gus Johnson quite often. They're a treat to listen to. They're the best crew right now going in the country. But how many times did Joel Clatt mention that on the broadcast that Carolina's corners just never turned their head to make a play on the ball? And at at some point, I. I it's why I've come to believe that they're not being taught to because
0: there's just no way. It's been a problem since 2019. There's so just yes. no way
1: that it happens over and over again. It's either they're not being taught to or there's a lack of an accountability that exists on the coaching staff to quite simply pull players who don't execute the technique they're being taught. And that's I think that's what's the most frustrating thing is that <laughs> – you know, as much as we got upset about that DeAndre Boykin's pass interference, which wasn't the best PI call, but if he turns his head, that penalty doesn't get thrown at all because he's in position to make a play. He never turned his head. And, and so that's the thing to where it's like you, you, you think it's coaching. That's why I've just beat down the drum and say, look, Dre Bly may have, may, has a role in the program. He's vital to recruiting. He's vital to selling the program. He can't coach. And I know that's a, that's a hard pill for a lot of people to, to want to swallow because they watched this guy be dominant at Carolina, was an all-pro level corner in the NFL. Just because you play the game doesn't mean you can teach the game. And if, if, if seeing guys like Storm Duck and Tony Grimes leave leave the program and go to
0: better programs despite having bad tape, that's all you need to know. That, that was a – well, I don't, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think either one of those guys will play major roles where they go. But they still, went to, they still went to better programs. They went to better positions to where they can have
1: success because James Franklin and Jimbo Fisher probably looked there and said, you've got, you've got the talent, you've got the skill and the ability. It's not being used correctly. Come here, we'll get the most out of you. And so I, I know Mac Brown said that he's going to take some time to think. There shouldn't be any time to think. When you get back to Chapel Hill, you should know that
0: Dre Bly and Tim Cross aren't the type of guys to get you where you need to get to. And I'm gonna tell you right now, I was gonna wait and we could we were gonna talk about this at the end of this edition, but we'll just we'll just go ahead and dive into it now. Um pretty much there is almost a zero percent chance that is happening. And the reason why is that they are afraid of losing guys that are currently on this roster that like Tim Cross, that like Dre Bly, that have close ties to those guys through recruiting. Um, and and to me, I just think that is absolutely, I think that is one of the most dumbass thought, th- th- lines of thinking that you could possibly have. As a head coach. I'm sorry. Like, like, I I love Mac Brown. There are a lot of things that I think he has done to help this program out. How in the hell are you going to let recruits, who, by the way, those guys, great. You need those types of players in your program. Have you seen what these guys are doing under their coaching? They are not performing. How the hell is keeping those guys around while, do, while, while keeping these position coaches here, going to allow you to have any sort of success. They are not going to be developed. So the talent is meaningless. It will go to waste. I, this is the problem that we, we said this in the middle of the season when we talked about these guys, that there needed to be staff changes made, but Mac Brown is loyal to a fault. If these reports are true, and these come from inside Carolina, if these reports are true, I don't see. I, I mean, I, it, Mac Brown has has one year to me, and then it's it's you you've you've got to you've got to push him into retirement. Well, the the thing is,
1: holy crap, is that you haven't been successful enough to be this loyal. You're
0: thirty and twenty one in four years. That's just look at their overall positions. Dude, you just finished 128th in the country in sacks. Your defensive line, like, uh, last night, you're, you uh, again, you talked about how little time this th- th- that broadcast crew spent preparing for this game. That broadcast crew knew immediately this defensive line for Carolina is not good. Nope.
1: And so, you know, I, I think it's frustrating, and that's why, that's why the the program, even after a nine and five season, and even with a guy like Drake May at quarterback, enters another crossroad off because you don't really, there's really no reason to believe that it's going to change next year with the same guys running it back, and that's unfortunate. Um, because you you for the better part you, you you wasted Sam Howell's career, a generational type of talent. You upgraded. You got an even better guy at his position, and if you have more of the same next year, well, guess what? You wasted him as well, and that's going to be something where, you know, for for a guy that came out of retirement and said. I look at this as a place to where we can win and win big, run it like a place that can win and win big. Because this was happening at Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, USC, coaches would be getting fired. That's how it operates there.
0: Coaches, dude, dude, here's the thing. At Alabama – they did not make the college football playoff. There will be coaches that will be fired, or there are coach there are coaches that have already gone to different schools because they probably knew, look, we were gonna be, we were gonna be parted with in some way because we did not get there. And again, the expectation does not have to be what those schools are. It doesn't even have to be what Clemson is. But when it is this obvious to fans, and yes, fans are overreactive. We understand that. But when it is this obvious that there are clear issues with the team, and I've said it multiple times on here, when you recruit at the level that Carolina does, it is physically impossible for every single guy in a position group like with that defensive front to struggle and to, to not live up to the expectations that they had coming out of high school. And every single one of those guys has failed to live up to those expectations. You'll have those guys that'll kind of come out of nowhere, like Kamen Rucker. But look at the rest of that defensive line group, and you tell me what, what, which one of those guys is living up to his billing from his time in high school. I don't see one. So... That's clearly on the coaching staff. It's also very obvious in the defensive front. They don't stunt. There's no... there there It is the same thing that this group does over and over again. And I believe part of the reason why they didn't get a lot of pressure this year was because they didn't blitz nearly as much as they should have. And maybe that's because you don't trust the corners on the back end. To me... I mean, I don't, I don't know if that really does say what what Gene Chizik thought of of Tony Grimes and Storm Duck. I don't really get it from the Storm Duck perspective because I think he was a much better man corner than he was a zone corner for his entire career. You saw once they started using him in more man coverage situations late in the year, it allowed them to have a lot of success. But I, I just. To, to me, with, with, with Dre Bly, I think you're right too because there's no development of these guys. I think go, th- just those two guys that we talked about in the transfer portal, Tony Grimes, when was Tony Grimes' best season as a freshman? He, t- he, he took steps back from there. It's Not how it's supposed to work. Storm Duck, when was his best season as a freshman? Him, you could maybe attribute some of that to the fact that he was injured, he had he he had multiple injuries that he had to fight through but i think also part of that is just not being coached right and i'm going back to this too and this is the last and then we'll 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 get back to focusing on the game i just i i had to get into this report from inside carolina and it, the one that i saw earlier today was really ju- was just tim cross i wanted to clean that I, I wanted to clear that up it was just that tim cross is connected it's just if tim cross if They are looking at this as they don't want to lose guys that are tied to Tim Cross from when he recruited them. You would imagine Dre Bly will fit into that same category because of just how many guys he recruited out of the state of Virginia. I think, to me, the first move that Carolina has to make is Brian Hess needs to be gone as the strength and conditioning coach. I don't think there is any way possible that you can bring him back because I thought again last night in when it went especially in crunch time, but really just overall throughout the game, I thought Carolina was pushed around in the trenches. I thought they were bullied. And we saw that so many times this year by teams that were that had no business bullying this team. Notre Dame, that's one thing. When you're getting your ass handed to you and you're getting planted into the ground like a damn flag against Georgia Tech, there needs to be somebody that's held accountable. And when you look at all these guys across the board and everybody Mm -hmm. keeps saying the same thing, that certain guys just appear undersized, they don't have the strength to move guys out of the way, it's time to look in the strength and conditioning room First and foremost, you need to find somebody different. It's the
1: most important hire a head coach makes when he in any sport. The strength and conditioning coach is the most important hire. And um, you know, Brian Hess just has proven to not be the, the best guy for the
0: job. Look at where he came from. He came from Army. Building guys at Army is so much different. It's a massive challenge, and I give him a ton of credit. It is a huge difference from building guys for a power 5 program.
1: Yeah, and and so you know it's just something that again, this is where Mac Brown's got to look around the room, identify the situation and make tough decisions. That's what you're the that's why you're the head coach. That's why you get paid the salary that you get paid, especially when you're a CEO type of coach where you're an overseer of the program. You've got to be able to look at guys, whether they're their lifelong coaching friends, former players, whatever it is, and have hard conversations. And until that happens, this is what Tar Heel football is going to be under Mac Brown. And look, in the grand scheme of things, nothing wrong with going 30 and 21 in a four-year time span. You've done some things. Like you made a you made an Orange Bowl. You made an ACC title game. But your biggest accomplishments have been defeats. We want to get at least one win in one of those categories every three to four to five years because we understand that once you're gone, it probably won't be like this for a long time. And and right now, I just think unless he makes some changes, whenever he re-retires again, he'll go into retirement thinking, what if? What if I had done some things differently? Maybe he could have gotten this program to the pinnacle, which he sold us on when he came back and took the job.
0: Well, and that's the thing, is that he he came out and sold us that he could get Carolina to be that team that could win an ACC title. And when you were 9-1 and one this year, you felt like that was something that Carolina could do. And I, I, I get what people are saying. I know that there are people listening to this podcast right now saying to themselves, well, in the preseason, we didn't think that this was possible. I get that. But at the same time, you saw a path to getting to 10 wins. You saw a path to potentially winning the ACC, and they're doing the things right in the offseason. They're recruiting the way that they need to. They have brought in transfers that we feel like can help them. But when you're not seeing the development on the field, that's what's most frustrating. And that's what has us, I think, a little bit angry about what is happening with Tar football because we're once again back into that sleeping giant role. And we're at the back end of that. Because it feels like, it's starting to feel like with Mac Brown, it's getting a little bit stale at the end. And I, I think we're we're closing in. I was I was talking to our guy uh here here in the office, fellow Toriel fan Colin Hoggard was and I was saying to him, look, man, I, I think we're nearing the end. And he said, I would not be shocked if next year is the final year if he leaves with Drake. And I, I could honestly see that happening. And to be honest as even with the fact that this team won 9 games this year and yes it is a step in the right direction it has them closer to where the program was after the 2020 season than not i think that's the type of scenario that you're staring you're staring down because i think if they are not able to build off of this next year you have to wonder how much higher can they really go under Mac Brown? Is it time to find somebody that can take this program to the next step? Well, let's turn our attention back to the game, and let's actually go to the other side of the football. Offensively, I thought, and it's weird because they only had 322 yards of total offense in this game, which would tell you that this was not a stellar performance, but they scored the most points in this game since that win over Wake Forest. I thought Carolina played pretty well offensively, especially with all things considered, except in one area. uh, Once again, the red zone issues pop up for Carolina. They go three for four in the red zone, which ultimately, not a terrible night there. I mean, Oregon was three for four down there as well, but only converted Two of those into touchdowns. Oregon converted all three of those successful red zone trips into touchdowns. Carolina has the missed field goal again from Noah Burnett in that or uh, early in that second quarter. That could have been the difference in the game. You also had the drive that allowed Carolina to extend the lead to. 24-14, to 14, which I thought was the right decision at the time, kick the field goal, but that's another one where if you find a way to execute down there, Carolina has a chance uh, to put more distance between them. I thought if, that, if that, that lead had ballooned to 14, I thought Carolina would have had a chance to win the game. That has to be one of the main focuses of this staff when it comes to this offseason season. And when it comes to finding out how to get this offense back to the level that they were earlier this season, you have to figure out how to be more successful in the red zone at scoring touchdowns because seven touchdowns in your last 21 trips there over the final four games of the season, that ain't going to get
1: it done. Yeah, the the first handful of games, Carolina averaged over five points per possession inside the red zone. And as you mentioned right there, seven seven touchdowns in your last twenty one possession, so just a little over three points per possession. And like it at two points is but two points is a lot when you add up how frequent Carolina got in there. Yes. Oh yeah. But I, I think, you know, the biggest thing I took away from the offense was not really the struggles in the red zone because those have pre you know, those have existed for four years. But I think the way Carolina played Needs to, you know, is probably what you're going to see a lot of next year. Carolina was a lot more deliberate on offense. They tried to, you know, they I thought they did a really good job in the fourth quarter, working the clock to put the game into their favor. If the, if the defense could have gotten stops, they tried to, you know, establish more, something more on the on the ground game, and you know they weren't as explosive as maybe they have been. But it, you know, I I thought. I mean, I had them scoring 24 points. They they exceeded that point total. They had the big play potential early, like we you know, with the sudden change after the interception. And, and so, you know, there were some little things that that showed up again that really cost them. But you know, considering what we saw really since the second half of the the Georgia Tech game on, it's not it's really hard to complain about what this offense did. They scored 27 points. They possessed the ball to where. You know, you should have dictated the outcome if your defense could have stopped somebody, and it wasn't able. They weren't able to get the job done, and so, you know, I think the one thing was Drake May missed a throw in the second half. That if he hits Kobe Pacer, who knows how that that game changes. And then that second and twelve, where they threw it, and that ball fell incomplete. I wonder if Mac Brown can have that back. What does he do? Yep. You know, does Oregon finally then take a timeout? You don't know because they had been pretty reluctant to hold on to the timeouts. Uh, but you threw it. It was an incomplete pass. They didn't have to use their timeout. And then you threw it again on third down, incomplete pass. They got the ball back with all their timeouts. And I think everybody that, that that was a Tar Heel fan knew how that game was going to end.
0: Well, they ultimately they didn't use all their timeouts at, in in the end, anyways. They didn't have to because it, Carolina just made it so easy on them to move the ball down the field, which I I thought was just that that was another thing that was an issue. One of the biggest issues I had all night with Gene Shizik was how easy he allowed. Oregon to move the football down the field on that final drive. But that's at this point, that's just end-of-game football, I think. We've seen that at at both levels, college and NFL, that teams just make it so easy. They're so obsessed with not allowing that big play down the field that they just make everything underneath so easy to complete. And all you have to do is break a tackle or two, and it's simple. But I thought, you know, overall, that that I'm with you. I wasn't a huge fan of the second and twelve throw. Um, you know, I think it was just it was bad execution on first down. I think your offensive line got blown back off the ball, which happened again a little a little too often last night. But I thought the coaching staff then confound compounded that mistake by then choosing to throw the football the next two plays um third and 12 look it's understandable if let, let's say you would ran it and you pick up a, a a yard or two even okay i understand throwing it there on third down but second down you you should have ran the football you should have at least a, 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 attempted to get them to waste a timeout and who knows what ends up happening because you had you had done a pretty good job there there were a couple of times in that second half where carolina was able to pick up some chunks on the ground um it was it was really a more of a methodical ground and pound the majority of the night, but you started to see that Carolina was able to wear that group down a little bit as the game went along, and they did have a couple of nice runs in that second half. So I would have liked to see what they would have done there if that would have resulted um, in Carolina maybe getting into even a third-and-short situation there that could have allowed them to potentially go for it on fourth down. Um, But I I just – it's – it's so frustrating, and, and I know when, when you go back to the other drive that I was talking about. I thought the decision to kick the field goal was the right one for Carolina. At when it was all said and done, I, I thought I thought that was the right move. And, and maybe I don't know. Maybe you disagree. We were talking during the game, though. I think you're you're, you're probably on my side on that
1: one. Yeah, no, I, I've I've gotten to the point now where coaches got to quit. They, there's a reason why there are people that work in analytics and they're not coaches. Sometimes, look, the numbers may tell you to go for, and I know six is greater than three. You make it a two possession game. You, you, you know, you you do whatever you got to do in that moment. Um, you did such a great job, you know, working the clock. You're not you're not going to not take points and have nothing to show for it. In that situation, your defense has to be able to make plays, and and so. I think last night was just the perfect way to wrap up the season. It was an incomplete performance by an incomplete football team. And incomplete football teams usually lose games more often than they win. Luckily, Carolina's got a winning record. But, you know, all in all, I talked to the same guy you talked to today in our building, and he's like, we only gave up 28 points, we should win. 28 points is still a lot. You score 27 points. You should be able to win football games scoring 27 points. And the fact that we're basically been doing this for a decade where if we don't score 30, 35, 40, 45, we're not winning, it's getting old. Like, it's it's, ju- it's just getting old to where we as fans have just accepted the fact that we're not going to play good defense.
0: Well, yeah, because, uh, again, this goes back to what we talked about earlier in the broadcast. They don't want to hold any of the coaches on the defensive side of the ball accountable. I mean, not, at least now from what I can see, it, it's it's maddening. There's There's no doubt about it. The last two drives – you have to find a way to come up with a stand. And I thought when you go back to the 2015 season, one of the things that Carolina did so often in close games that year was they would find ways to, just, despite how bad they played some of those nights defensively, and, and, and even a little bit early in 2016 they did the same thing, they would find ways to make stops when they had to and there was a point earlier in the season where it really felt like this group had that same mentality. They found ways to make stops when they needed to. Miami was a tremendous example of that. But it just it 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 is not it's not there for this team right now. And again, I think it all goes back to the culture of of this of this team. There's no belief in that locker room that this defense is capable of making a mistake and bouncing back. It's capable of making a, a stop when they need to late in the game. It's, it's just a mindset thing. It's, it's something that probably a lot of fans experience as well, and you're hoping that it will change, but it has to change inside the program first of – well, here we go. We know what's going to happen. We know they're going to give up points here. We know they're going to give up a touchdown here. That's the mindset look, that's the mindset that you should not have on the sideline as a player. And right now, I just feel like that's what you're seeing with this team anytime that they get into these types of situations. Early in the season, Carolina found a way to navigate those situations. Say whatever you want. Maybe it was that they weren't facing good teams. I mean, look, that Duke team—that's a pretty—that's a pretty good football team that Carolina beat. Wake Forest, I know they're not great, but Carolina on the road found a way to win that game. The problem is, is that whatever magic this team had seemed to run out, and once it, this season was almost a—I mean, it, it, it was a larger it was a it was a larger example of what we just what we talked about earlier happened last night the season as a whole was well, it it started out great but the minute that something went severely wrong because Notre Dame was one where it's like okay carolina has struggled against them historically so it makes a little bit of sense <laughs> this was an example though of what we saw the other night set for the the <coughs> final quarter of the season. Carolina lost a game that they shouldn't have to Georgia Tech and everything snowballed. The confidence left this team as a whole and they were never able to get it back. And 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 that that is what is just most frustrating about this and I think has us sitting here wondering what exactly the direction of the program is.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that's that's what I said earlier, is that we enter another offseason at a crossroads. And um, I've just basically resigned to the fact that if, if changes aren't made on the staff, nothing's going to change on the field. And so you'll get more incomplete football, and you'll probably win some games you shouldn't win, but you'll lose some games you shouldn't lose. And you'll have to hear Mac Brown pretty much reiterate the same thing in his pressers over and over again. And at some point, that gets old and tiring. And I'm not trying to, you know, belittle what he's done because he took the program from a program that had won five games in two years to the Orange Bowl in year two, and but you lost. And, you know, you took him to an ACC title game, but you lost. And that's my biggest fear is that whenever he looks back – It'll be like when he left the first time. He'll look back and say, what if, you know, because that's what happened when he left. I mean, he, he left Carolina for Texas because he knew he couldn't win a national title at Carolina. Well, you came back to Carolina because you thought you could win a national title. So that's probably not going to happen. And when that doesn't happen, what's going to be your reason why? And if he's honest with himself, he'll probably be, It'll probably be because he didn't make the decisions he had to make. He didn't run the program the way you have to run it to win those type of games at a place like Carolina where you're not traditionally a football power like some of your other conference members or other teams located in the
0: South. My biggest fear with this, and I've told you this multiple times here towards the end of the season, is that this is going to be similar, not in record because I think there is – enough talent here especially on the offensive side of the football to what we saw with Larry Fedora at the end of his tenure this feels a lot like 2016 where Carolina had a really good season going following that that 2015 year this one you know you kind of had the bump in the road last year of 2021 but when you were 9 and 1 it kind of felt like almost an extension of the 2020 season that you were building off of that and then you just had a momentary step back and you you were you were getting the program heading in the right direction again well now again it's not the fact that you won 9 games it's not the fact that you lost 5 games even it's the fact that you lost four straight at the end and that resembles the type of finish that you had in 2016 the goal for mac brown was to leave this program when when he took back over he had specific goals but i think the goal for torial fans was mac brown comes in here and leaves this job better than when he took it over and i think the longer that this keeps going on You're not going to see this team be able to sustain nine wins. They're probably going to fade back to the pack a little bit. And you wonder, is he really going to ultimately end up leaving this job better than when he took it over? Maybe slightly, but by how much? And that's the point that I, I am fearing that we could get to. Really quickly... I did want to end with a couple of positive notes from this game and some things that we can look forward to for next year. You talked about the effort. Well, I thought one room that brought the effort the entire night was the wide receiver room. I thought you saw those guys step up. Tight ends performed pretty well as well. I thought Bryson Nesbitt had a nice night for himself. But I thought the wide receiver group with Kobe Pesor, who once again, any time that he has been given an opportunity this year, he has proven it. Seven catches, 98 yards, and a touchdown in this game. I liked what I saw from Andre Green Jr. in that room. I thought last night one of my biggest positive takeaways from this game was this receiver room when you combine it with the transfers that we're bringing in, and we'll talk really quickly about uh, the guy that they brought in just before the game yesterday and his impact to this room uh, after we come back from the break here shortly, I I thought this receiver room provided a lot of positives last night.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I thought Kobe Pesor made some nice plays. The, the catch by Andre Green Jr. in the end zone was, was pretty good. Um, and, You know, I said, look, you got to come into this game and leave with some answers to some questions of how you're going to replace the void of Josh Downs and Antoine Green. And I think Carolina got some of those answers last night. And that's that's the most important thing about bowl games is, I mean, yeah, you're there, you're competing, you want to win. The reason why I'm not overly mad that Carolina lost was because they came away with some que- to, to, to some answers, to some questions, because some guys and some pis- and, 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 and position groups stepped up and going into the game when we weren't confident that that was going to happen. but that happened with that wide receiver room last night.
0: One of the other things that I thought Carolina – that we saw from Carolina last night, as much as we've talked about the struggles of the defense late in the game, again, they took some incremental steps throughout the game. They did some good things. I thought the back end of the defense really before – All of the pass interference issues did a really good job in man coverage. I thought Gene Chizik did a good job of trying to sprinkle that in more often. But I thought the biggest thing was the two freshmen that we were excited by late in the season and that we had big-time hopes for, I thought they proved themselves very well last night. I thought Marcus Allen did a tremendous job for the majority of the night. He was pretty much locked on... Chris Hudson the majority of the evening. Chris Hudson did not really do anything until that second-to-last drive. And I also thought Will Hardy did a really good job at free safety for the majority of the night. He was not a guy that we saw getting beat over the top, which was something we saw so much of from Cameron Kelly. So to me, those two freshmen performing the way that they did, I think was extremely encouraging.
1: The best thing about them was that when they made mistakes, they didn't they didn't hold their heads down. They just got up and tried to go make a play the very next time out. And that's, that's all we're asking from these kids is, look, you're going to screw up. You're going to mess up, but respond. And for the most part, Grimes, Storm Duck, Cameron Kelly, they think it's easier to quit. Um, That's probably a big reason why they're transferring. These kids, that didn't happen. Um, I mean, there was a couple plays in the first half that Marcus Allen completely whiffed on.
0: Should have made the plays. Tackling tackling wise. That's yeah. an area he's gotta get stronger in. But do you agree with me? I thought I thought his coverage the entire night was tremendous. I mean it was a it freshman. It was
1: good, you know, but in the second half, the tackles that he didn't make, he was he was there making the tackles and that that was the sign of encouragement was okay, you saw him do what our other guys did all year long, which was miss tackles. But it didn't, it, it didn't derail the rest of his game. He responded. Will Hardy did some nice things. Anything's better than Cameron Kelly. I mean, hell, I'm better than he is. So I, I, Okay, I, slow
0: I, your I, roll, slow your roll.
1: I'm, I'm being serious. The dude's god-awful. And so I don't, it's going to be really hard to judge how good he is because we've had a, guy, a bad guy play there for three years. But for the most part, I liked what I saw. We'll see what happens next year.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing. I thought for for the majority of the game, Carolina did not get beat deep. A lot of the bigger gains that you saw from Oregon were just guys catching passes underneath and missed tackles that led to bigger plays. And to me, I think that's a step in the right direction because this team, even while playing zone coverage to prevent those explosive plays, allowed a ton of them this year. They allowed guys to get behind them. Last night... You didn't see that against an Oregon offense that was just about as explosive as it gets. So, yes, there are some things that they have to clean up, especially coming up into the box to help in run defense. But you know what else would help in run defense? If you could win up front. That'd be nice, right? Like I, I think that's that's the other part of it is can we not put as much on these corners and on these safeties to have to make plays over and over and over again in the run game? That would probably help these guys to have a little bit more success when they do have to tackle because they're not going to get matched up multiple times with, with these guys in the open field. I thought you know uh, uh, some other guys that I thought played well. Thought the linebackers, both guys. Played extremely well in this game. I thought especially early in the second half, Cedric Gray was outstanding. Swarming to the football. So glad that Carolina has him back next year. Really liked what I saw from Power Eccles, Even in coverage, I thought he was about as good as he's been all season. That's an area that he's got to get better in coverage-wise because they are going to drop him into coverage. I, I-, I think that you should try to limit how much you drop him into coverage, but... It seems like that's not the plan that the staff has for him, so he's got no choice but to learn. And that interception, by the way, one of the most impressive things I've seen in a while, to be able to tap the ball up to himself. I don't think he intentionally kicked it, but to be able to then recover from the bounce off your foot and find a way to intercept and return 40 yards, to make a big play, an impact play that, allowed Carolina to put themselves in position to lead at halftime and potentially win the game was huge. And the last guy that I thought played well, we wanted to see more of him. I thought Travis Shaw played well in this game. I thought you saw him move. There were times up front – I still think you know, you're, you're hoping that he can be a little bit more impactful in terms of moving guys out of the way off the line of scrimmage um, and, and just, just moving guys back in general, helping in the run game. But I thought you saw a guy that was flying around the field all night. He was chasing down plays from behind better than the majority of your defensive end. So those were some of the other guys that kind of stuck out uh, to me in this one.
1: Yeah, and you know that's going to be something where hopefully with Eccles and Gray, the defense will be better next year, so their play will be recognized nationally uh, because they're two really good linebackers. But because they play on a crappy defense, they don't get the type of recognition they probably would get, you know, from from people that watch the sport across the country. Well, to be fair, I'm going to tell
0: you if Tim Cross is still the defensive line coach. Cedric Gray may get himself some national recognition because Cedric Gray may set the record for the most total tackles in a season. I mean, he may be around 230, 240 because ain't nobody else helping him up front. And then, yeah, Travis Shaw, I think he's a guy that would benefit the most from
1: a defensive line coaching change because he's the most talented guy yep. at that position group, and yeah, it's just why, you know, it's it's really – yeah, it's just why coming out of this game I am where I am. Like, I'm upset about the result, but, you know, I've just resigned to the fact that if nothing changes on the coaching staff – Nothing's going to change on the field, and it'll be another year of more of the same for Tar Heel
0: football. Well, one of the strategies that this staff seems to be imploring if they do end up sticking with some of those guys on the defensive side is trying to bring in more transfers, trying to find more talent. Carolina did land a transfer yesterday in the portal. We'll tell you about him and we tell you what his, how he will impact his position room when we come back on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast back right after this. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. The reason why they have all these great ways that you can play with same-game parlays, easy and fast payouts, and player prop options. So if you want to bet on maybe even some of the former Tar Heels, how many rushing yards Michael Carter will have in a game for the Jets, you can do it all at DraftKingsSportsBook.com. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Guys, I've been using it to bet on my favorite team, even though they let me down this past week. The New York Giants, I've been betting on them all season long, and it has worked out well for me. I've been betting heavily on Saquon Barkley. Mike Kafka, can you please help me out and use him a little bit more this week? You can bet on your favorite team, even if it's the Carolina Panthers, at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TPPN. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the promo code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter. At Heel Tough Blog on Twitter. Make sure you give it a follow. And you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself, at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack 2 for our recruiting analyst, Zach Hubbard. Hey, guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnotta, Josh Marlowe with you. Let's get into the transfer that Carolina landed yesterday in wide receiver Nate McCollum. He transfers in from Georgia Tech, the second Georgia Tech transfer that Carolina has brought in, and uh, the third from the ACC that the Tar Heels have brought in. This is a move that Carolina, uh, you know, I, I – I, think we all thought could be coming because he took the official visit to Chapel Hill back on the weekend of the 16th through the 18th, and it's an interesting one, especially after what we saw last night. Um, it's, It's a guy that had a had a good amount of success this year for Georgia Tech. 60 catches led the team, 60 uh, 655 yards led the team, and tied for the team lead with three receiving touchdowns. Remember as well that, one, Georgia Tech, even though they are transitioning away from the, uh, the wing T offense that they ran for so long, uh, this is still a, a team that – is it's they they don't throw the ball a ton. They had a ton of different injuries at the quarterback's position. There was really no stability on that offensive side of the football once again this season. So the numbers that he put up there, although they may not be overly impressive in some of these air raid offenses nowadays, for that offense, that was an extremely successful season for him overall. It, it it's just I don't really get – I'm not going to say I don't get the move because you, you're adding more veteran experience, you're losing Josh Downs, so you're, you're hoping that you can find some guys in the slot that can impact the game the way that he did. But I thought what we saw from Kobe Paisor earlier in the season and then again what we saw from him last night – It looked like Kobe Pesor was the guy that was going to take over that position. I don't know if Carolina is hoping they can use him a little bit more on the outside. We saw some sets in the ACC championship game against Clemson where he lined up on the outside with Josh Downs on the field. So maybe Carolina is hoping that he can help them out there. But with that performance again last night from Pesor, this one, this this one leaves me a little confused about how exactly that room is going to sort itself out next year.
1: It probably leads you to believe that they believe that Antoine Green won't be back next year. Well, he's
0: not. He the last night was supposed to be his final game. He, I don't. This one of the weirdest scenarios. We didn't even really talk about that. That's also kind of been forgotten. It feels like by a lot of people because of the result of the game. He was supposed to play in the game. We had heard nothing suggesting that he wouldn't. Mack Brown said this would be his final game in a Tar uniform. And then right before the game, it's reported that he has some sort of lower body injury um, on the right side of his body. And he was not going to play in this game unless it was under an emergency basis. I absolutely hate it for him because he is just – this has been his career in a nutshell. Every time that it feels like he's going to get an opportunity to showcase himself, he always gets banged up, and that's what happened again last night. But, yeah, he is he is out of the fold for next season. I just wonder, does this – is this basically say, t- telling the rest of that room out, out on the outside – with the fact that you're bringing in Devontae Walker as well, we have question marks out there. We don't really know what we have out there, so Kobe Pesor will probably be playing out there to start the season.
1: Either that or maybe they think they're expecting more players to enter the portal now that the bowl game is complete. That's also very possible. And That's this, a good call. And this is just you know added depth, added protection if that were to happen. You can't have too many weapons for a guy like Drake May. Like, There's just, too, there's, there's no such thing, especially with injuries and the like. And so it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. If you see a guy like maybe J.J. Jones, a guy like Gavin Blackwell, who they've yet to really find a role in a home at Carolina. If they were to enter the portal, Carolina's now got some other guys that they've brought in They could withstand losing a a guy or two to the portal.
0: One other thing that I kind of wonder with this is, do you see more four wide receiver sets with two slots moving forward? Because, I mean, I I think McCollum is definitely talented enough where you got to get him on the field. But, I mean, I don't know about you. I, I thought... Even after what we saw from him early in the year, we said it on this podcast, once Josh Downs returned in that Notre Dame game, we wanted to see them be creative and get Kobe Pesor on the field more. I don't think there is any way, after he justified it again last night, that you as a staff can once again go without having him on the field for a majority of the snaps next season. He's just he's too damn talented.
1: Yeah, he'd probably enter next year the primary target for Drake May, you would imagine. I would think so. So, yeah, um I think it's going to be interesting to see cuz I think Carolina's going to be more balanced. I think they're going to be more committed to the run game cuz that's what Chip Lindsey's DNA is, but you know you you you, you never know.
0: Yeah, and we'll we'll have to wait and see. So many questions going into this offseason, and we will be talking about it throughout. We are going to have a recap of the season coming up where we go through and discuss a little bit more about uh, the future of Carolina based off of this season. Uh, we are going to have, you know, a... a, a Discussion of whether or not this was a successful season for Carolina. We'll do that sometime next week when we can step away and and really take a full evaluation of what happened this season. And then, you know, again, we, we will be covering you throughout on everything else that's going on around Carolina football. But when it comes to this game, more coverage on the Holiday Bowl and the start of that offseason coverage, the wrap-up to the 2022 season, you can check it out on HeelToughBlog.com. I'm going to have that recap going up. Uh, I'm not sure when I'm going to get the podcast actually posted, so hopefully I will have that recap up already on the website. I should have that recap up on the website uh, for you guys here uh, before this goes up. So you should be able to go on there, read my takeaways, from The bowl game loss to the Oregon Ducks out in San Diego. And then we will be getting you guys into final grades for the season. And of course, there is still a big transfer uh, portal target that will announce his commitment tomorrow. He took an official visit to Carolina. That is former Florida State linebacker Amari Gaynor. And we will have you covered on that front as well. Uh, If he does commit to Carolina, we'll have that breakdown what he adds to that linebacker room for you guys. So make sure you're keeping an eye on the website for that. And, of course, when it comes to the transfer portal, January 18th is the deadline for guys to enter the portal. So it is going to uh, still be uh, probably a crazy couple of weeks here. There will be other guys that will have played in the bowl game and maybe feel like they need to move on. So we will be monitoring all that on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Meanwhile, on the basketball side of things, Carolina getting ready to race into conference play. They start off tomorrow against Pittsburgh. I should say full-fledged conference play. Carolina has, of course, played two conference games already so far this year, but they will get into the full portion of their conference schedule tomorrow at 12 o'clock against Pittsburgh. Josh will have you covered with that on the website, uh, and he will also have the recap of that game for you uh, once it is all said and done. You can also check out the Four Corners podcast uh, up there. Uh, there is a tab at the top of the page right next to the Heel Tough blog podcast tab, and you can check that out on the website uh, mm-hmm. when, you, uh, when you head over there. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. I want to thank Josh for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels!